0: good morning pound nation and welcome to episode six of pounding the table this is actually the first episode where I'm not drinking a bottle of wine or scotch. So this is gonna be a 100% pure Avi heat, pure Tony fire. We woke up this morning at 8 a.m. on Sunday to dig in and ensure that we can get this out to everyone in a timely fashion.
1: How's it going fellow pounders? And uh, just to let you know who we are and what this is all about for those of you who are new and haven't heard anything about us before, Pounding the Table is a podcast by yours truly and Avi Mash, where we talk about the stock market options trading, different strategies, and each week we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets will be impacted. Just to really make this clear as a disclaimer, the thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investment. So everything and anything said on each episode of Pounding the Table, as well as anything posted on our Twitter account for this page, at Table D-A- are not and should never be used as financial advice, recommendations, or any type of solicitation.
0: We want to give a huge thank to all of our supporters. We've always committed to giving 100% free podcast for all of our listeners. Thank you to everyone who has already clicked the support button for the donations on our platforms. Really important to note here that every single month we are going to give 100% of those proceeds to support and causes related in one way or another to the topics we cover on the podcast. So for this month, we're going to be looking at different charities in Africa in honor of Jumia, of course. And so we're going to be talking to different people around which actual charity this is going to go to, because of course, it is the circle of life after all. (laughs) So let's kick off the episode. As always, we want to stay true and keep it one hundo, as they say. So let's take a look real quick at last week at some of the earnings plays we took. Tony? How the heck did we do last week? I got
1: to say that I think that the last episode and the stocks we were calling out and being pretty bullish on did extremely well for the week, considering there was an end of week software sell off. We'll talk about that later. For the week, this is what happened. Mealy went up 11% at the highs, finished up 6%. Jumia, 53% up at the highs, finished uh, at 23% up. And they have earnings before uh, the bell on Wednesday. And so we're going to talk about that later in the episode with more detail. Five or another one we love up 34% at the high, finished up 15%. LVGO went all the way up to 31% and uh, after hours trading on their announcement of the merger and earnings, then down 5% at the end of the week. So we're gonna talk about that a lot in detail later. That was a really specific case and I'm still quite bullish on the stock. Roku uh, went 15% up at the highs in the after hours after their earnings ran, um, ended up finishing up 2%. Net 11% up and then finished down 4%, also had earnings. SQ massive earnings beat, one of my favorite stocks, long-term hold for a long time, still holding, never gonna really sell. I think it's gonna be a massive company. 23% up at the highs, finished up 13%. Etsy, another one we love. This one actually closed closest to its high, 17% up in the high and closed up 14% for the week. GSX, one of my favorite stocks. I've been in this since 30s, since Citron decided to go and go crazy on their short thesis for it. That was up 59% on the week, even after Citron's short attack, which they did at 112 points before, and clearly they were wrong for many, many hundreds of percent, still finished up 20%. Um, Redfin up 13% at the highs. That was really, I think, due to Zillow earnings doing extremely well and they crushed it and the stock ran for Zillow a lot, still finished up 5%. And uh, when we weren't really pounding the table on too much last week, because we had already pounded it a few episodes ago, and you know still kept pounding it on the way up, Overstock, oh, massive move. The company's really, really undervalued, trading at 2.26 price to sales, up 38 percent for the weekend and pretty much close at the high. So fantastic. Fastly. Obviously,
0: we got to talk about that. Avi, you want to give the stats on this one? We feel like we're on a rocket ship here, Tony. Up, up, and away. But of course, what goes up must come down. We did hit fastly real hard. Went from 96 to 118. So we crushed it in the start here. But of course, it closed down to 80. So 19% up, then 33% down from the highs. But of course, this was just this week. We've been pounding the table on this for weeks. So for those of you who listened early on, you still made a nice profit. But you know, a lot of news is coming out here on Fastly, of course, the TikTok, Microsoft's very highly to buy them. There's news about Twitter being involved with the mix, which, of course, we'll talk about a little bit later on the show, more in depth here. But what do you think here with Fastly? I mean, is that thing going to continue to rise? Is it hit its bottom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So shout out to Pavan five eight eight two zero one
1: seven eight for that question about Fastly. So we just wanted to include questions now into our just main bulk of the show, thought it'd be more fun to make segments out of the questions because a lot of the questions do you know end up lining up with exactly what we want to talk about so in terms of fastly like i am not selling my stake i i did do some really good hedging which we'll talk about later but here's the thing people think that because tiktok makes up 12 percent of their revenue and it's possible that tiktok becomes not a customer of fastly anymore but i really don't think that's going to happen i think what will happen is either microsoft's going to buy tiktok or Twitter is going to merge with them. Obviously, Twitter doesn't have the cash to buy them as Microsoft would. Microsoft will pay a lot higher. So, unless they merge and they think it's a better, you know, thing for them to do with Twitter, I think it'll get bought out by Microsoft. And Microsoft is a customer of Fastly. So, who do you think is going to continue to be a customer of Fastly? Obviously, TikTok. I think a lot of people got this wrong. Um, once again, like you know, I've been in the stock since the '30s. It went to 118, right? So, what goes up does come down you know at least at some point especially these high flyers so i mean i'm not a seller of fastly here in fact i'm a buyer i've been adding so i'm still quite bullish on it i think in the coming weeks we'll see what ends up happening with this tiktok deal which is genuinely a huge reason why right it's only one customer and fastly's growing their customers and each customer that they work with pays more every year so i think it's still a good buy
0: So the vast majority of these things have been flying, Tony. Speaking of flying, talk to us a little bit about booking and Expedia. You absolutely nailed that. It's almost like you have this crystal ball in front of you.
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of people thought booking would get absolutely slaughtered on their earnings. They revised estimates down for Expedia down to like losing $2 and something a share and they ended up losing like $4 plus a share. So they actually did shit. However, booking, I was saying this last week, booking is strongly involved in international travel. Booking's got open table. Restaurants have been opening up all over the country, this and that. So booking was well poised to do well on this report based on they were predicted to lose $10 a share on their EPS. So they came right in line with that, right in line with REVs. A bunch of their data points for the travel in other countries did extremely well. Also really interesting, that day that they were reporting earnings, in the middle of the day, the administration came out and said that they were lifting international travel restrictions and opening up the economy a little more. So people bought it really, really heavy into the close. Um, And then after hours on earnings, they ripped to 1840. Right out the open, though, the next day uh, in real cash section, and booking went back down to about flat. And that I think is a lot to do with the market makers. They don't want that premium because booking options were not priced as they usually are. They were priced a lot lower. So, market maker doesn't want to give away that free money. The 800s were priced at like eight before the travel news hit, and they went to almost 45 50 So, you know, closing it flat is okay. But, you know, well, I did notice that the leaps that I have did close higher. So they expect higher move to come in the future weeks. And I think that you'll see that Monday and in the coming weeks. We did have a bunch of winners at this point, right? Like everything that we really called out at some point or another was up a substantial amount. And big question is, did you give it up? How much did you lose because you didn't trim your positions and everything? So given this podcast, the way that we do it, we only record once a week. So we always try to preach managing your account during the week.
0: 100%, Tony. I think this brings up a huge point, right? Stocks are going to be moving throughout the week, so. Everyone that's listening, follow at pounding duh, DA table on Twitter for updates as we go throughout the week. Uh, for example, like Tony had mentioned to me to get into Melly at 1190. He bought calls at $3. I, of course, was late to the party and I bought in at six. Then, of course, it went down to two and I foolishly sold. Right. So at that point, I just got to remember, let those things go to zero. What's the point of saving $200 each contract? Because, who knows things can pop up and of course that exact same thing happened i was driving back from the lake house i missed about 500 messages that tony's going nuts he ended up selling those at 16 from three tony with that i just had to crack myself a beer i know i promised i would not but let's just be honest i'm just much better on it so talking about managing positions for those max gains and managing different hedging tactics to help people especially myself here With a lot of the recent down moves in our favorite stocks, do you think this is the end of cloud? SaaS stocks, at Chad the Dad on Twitter, asked, how do you get out of positions? Are you trimming along the way? Do you usually hold for a certain event, chart indicator, or is this all on a case-by-case basis? Could you provide a few recent examples? That'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, I am happy to, Chad the Dad. Big shout out to you. Thanks for always interacting on Twitter and being a good supporter. I just want to start out by saying that the market moves in cycles, right? So we rotate heavily a lot in the last three months between tech and then between the beaten down cyclicals, IWM specifically, you know, the, all those Russell beaten down stocks, get money in them and then the money comes out of them and goes into tech and then the money goes back into them and then sometimes banks fly, which moves the rut as well. So, you know, all that thing kind of happens throughout the week and it sometimes can last a day. Sometimes it lasts three days, but in no way do I think this is the end of software as a service or cloud stocks, e-commerce, none of that. I think that's ridiculous to think genuinely. Specifically, I would just say that all these companies that have reported massive growth, massive earnings, they're going to be corrected a little bit, right? They're trading a huge price to sales ratios. But once again, that base for them is quite sticky. We talked about this last time on the podcast that, in three to four months it did 10 years of what e-commerce would have been in the united states right software as a service in a similar range there so no i i think that it's very very healthy to get these pullbacks right if something went up straight 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 every single day it would go down 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 every single day but if it goes up a few days goes down a few days goes back up a few more days that's great for us so just to answer your question chad how do i get out of these positions i don't want to get it out of these cloud positions these stocks that i have from 100 200 300 for me, I think it's better in just in tax purposes. If you sell short term, you're paying 35% capital gains. You're selling long term, you're only paying 20, 25%. Like That's a huge reason why I don't really want to be selling these positions. I'm in these stocks from way lower. Some of them are from 30, 40, and they're over 100. And for me to sell, I'm taking a 35% capital gains hit right off the bat. And I want to hold these stocks for over a year. I'd rather hedge with weekly puts. And just to give you some examples, Fastly, you know, it was, when it was at 115, 116, I picked up the 95s in case it would dive on earnings. Luckily, paid a bunch, protected me 20 points and 25% or so on the stock's movement. And with that money, I could roll down to next week's puts in case it kept going lower. I used some of that proceeds to add more stock. Another one I did, GSX, got hit by Citron when it was at 30, which is where I started buying. And they got hit out of Citron when it was at 142. So they were wrong for 100 points plus was at that peak around 140s. I said, man, this thing should not have ran 60% in a week. There's no real reason for this to happen. except that they were squeezing the shorts. So what I did is when it was that high, I saw the Citron tweet instantly picked up 130 and 120 puts. Stock crashed to 100. I sold those puts for 5x about and put more money back into GSX. And then I hedged again with 100 puts for next week. So I always like to roll down my weekly puts, especially on these high flyers. I add the puts initially when they explode up, right? You don't wanna just think everything's gonna keep going up. So that's a huge thing, right? That's a fallacy. And a lot of investors are like, man, everything's gonna be the next Bitcoin. Everything's gonna be the next Tesla. Sure, that's possible. But Tesla went to 970 and then down to 300. So you wanna be protected on those downswings. A lot of people actually think that I got whacked this week. Actually, no. I, my fund was up 10% on the week because I did these hedging strategies, right? And I didn't have to sell a single share. All I did was make proceeds from these put hedges, rolled them out to the next week in case it keeps going lower. Because you know, I'm not really, I'm not good enough to time the bottom perfectly, except for the one time I did in March at the entire market bottom, which was my best thing I've ever done. However, you don't get whacked if you hedge. People are like, I don't want to put money in. I don't wanna spend the money to protect myself. Well, if it keeps ripping, you're not gonna care. But if it dives, you're gonna be five times
0: happier. So Citron's hating on GSX, also it was hating on GMIA. So to help me hedge, since I didn't have the best week myself last week, many of our listeners are pretty heavy in Jumia, both in stocks and options contracts. So what would be the best way to hedge against Jumia? I know they got the earnings coming up on Wednesday. Are we buying deep puts out the money? I know you had a different suggestion here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that you know a couple of years ago, maybe even a year ago, I wasn't able to really figure out what to do when I have closer to time option strikes and I have a bunch of stock and it's something that's moving insane like Jumia from like seven to 23. I mean, 300 plus percent crazy movers. I've been saying this for the last 20 minutes is nothing goes straight up. So for me, what I did is when Jumia popped to 24, I was like, okay, well, maybe it goes to 30, maybe it goes to 40. I got September 15s. Those are up hundreds of percent. there. The thing that I did is I sold those when it was uh, about 23. So right around the high, I just saw that the action was getting so bullish and I just could not let that gain just go away, especially with the timing being so short. And it was basically in the money at that point, I could have just bought stock. So then what I did there is I noticed a really crazy discrepancy in options premium, and these were for the January's, right? So that gives you another five months. you got plenty of time and the $20 strike calls were trading at 10 bucks. The $30 straight calls were trading at eight bucks. So you literally could buy the January 20s and short or sell the January 30s, right? So you're creating a spread of 10 bucks. So your max gain is 10. But if you're buying them for 10, shorting at eight, you're only paying $2 for that spread. So it could still be a 500% gain. So the stock went all the way down to the 15s. I was short at eight. I ended up buying them back at threes. So I ended up making $5 in that short leg closing out my my spread and making it just long calls for january and that was all with proceeds from the septembers and it's still holding the stock you know once again for those tax purposes up 300 you don't want to take that gain especially if you think it's going to go way higher but buying those spreads buying
0: further out is always a great strategy in my opinion you get yourself time obviously people are concerned with corona the election's coming up. I know we talk about this every week. Talk about flight to safety. We've gotten like 20 questions or so about metals and safer assets. People are worried about inflation, asset prices causing the Fed to just keep on burr, printing that digital money, stimulus is by the government and so forth, the rates being super low. Of course, talking about crypto, I know we haven't really mentioned that a lot, but I've seen tons and tons of people getting FOMO about the second rush into BTC. And then of course, real estate. Yeah, I mean, so I think a lot of people are just getting a little scared. I think a
1: lot of people have gotten really, really heavy and like long here. So it's almost thinking like people were so risk off when we were at the lows and now people are risk on because they think, oh, wow, it's a steamroller and it's just going to keep going. I'm on, I'm on that boat, right? Like, I think the market's going to keep going. In our first episode, I said, based on the math of how much there's liquidity and the rates being so low, we should be SPX 5,000 once everything recovers in a year or two. And I'm going to maintain that target. Nothing's changed yet. But in terms of the flight to safety, everyone's asking about gold, silver, other precious metals. That trade has had a huge you know, following, a big bandwagon. A big amount of people have been already invested in that. I'm not saying gold can't go higher. The dollar is way down. That's great for metals and commodities. Most commodities are priced in the dollar. So that's kind of how that works. So the lower the dollar goes, the higher these are going to go. And as people are buying them, the demand and supply for getting into this flight to safety will continue to make these things go up. However, I do think that even though it can go up another 10, 20% for gold or silver, those things have spiked insane. Like they've almost moved like growth stocks. So for me, I do think that there is some overzeal in buying these metals as a flight to safety. I think that if you really want a flight to safety, I would just prefer to buy index puts on the NASDAQ or the S&P 500. So you could do QQQ long-term puts to hedge your portfolio against your tech sector, or SPY long-term puts to hedge against everything else you're holding. But I do think that real estate in the residential areas, as we're talking about, is going to just go bomb. It's going to go berserkers, crazy, booming. You know, Everyone is moving out of this commercial, expensive New York, San Francisco space. We've been talking about this a lot. And I'm, I'm noticing that a lot of places that I'm looking to like buy real estate in, have started going up in price. And these are like residential suburbs at cheaper valuations and such. And those are really like hard to even buy now. People are like, like, I think you were saying something about this recently.
0: No, totally. As I mentioned on previous episodes, but even more recently here in Minneapolis, people are continuing to move out of the suburbs. Now it's not just Corona, of course, where there's a lot of social unrest that is causing people to flee these cities, but people are even putting in bids for these houses at 20, 30% over the asking price and still not even getting it. So those are real-life stories that show that people are going to be moving more and more out of the cities, out of apartments, uh, and into these homes. So you're exactly right. I'm still very bullish on Redfin. We saw Mm -hmm. this last
1: week. Like I think people are worried about the eviction moratorium that's definitely a concern, but I've noticed that a lot of people are paying rent, right? Like if you look at the statistics, it's not as it was a few months ago. So if I were to put money in a safe asset, I probably wouldn't do gold or metals. I would hedge my portfolio with index puts, um, indices, ETFs, like SPY, QQQ, probably wouldn't short IWM. It's the one that's been lagging the most and it's the one that has the most to gain if Corona were to go up. So I'd say the one that has the most to lose would be the NASDAQ. So probably best to hedge with QQQ puts, uh, Long term out against your
0: tech portfolio. So last week, Tony, we had a secret stock that we were going to share with everyone this week. Unfortunately, it jumped ahead. I know you absolutely made a ripper, and this is a perfect timing because it actually is the Tony in the Table thesis pick this week. So YB two three nine zero three nine eight two YB. Congrats, we chose Ontrack. Uh, ticker symbol is OTRK. Literally 51% just in a couple of days. So Tony, I know over the weekend, you were pounding the table internally with our our chat that we got going. Massive stock with huge potential. Earnings report last week, revenue growth of 124% year on year. So I know it's really interesting because we always talk spade is a spade. This went along with Lavango. So, I mean,
1: this is something I haven't really seen much of because there hasn't been many mergers and acquisitions happening around recently. But just now, there ha- there has been a couple starting. So, this is kind of a situation of what happens when a you know a spade is a spade becomes now this is the only currently available spade out there. But we do know what happened to the spade before, which got bought out and is going to be a huge ripper in a couple years. So, you know, the reason I picked OTRK last week, and I was really kind of hoping that it wouldn't explode before we released it, but, you know, it did. I think it closed the week at 39 previously, and it was at like 58 at the end of the week, went all the way to 64. So, massive mover. And the reason why is the market cap is so damn low. I think it's like 670 million market cap. And the crazy part here, this is where the spade is a spade. You know, write this down because this is how I this is how I do every trade. Like every investment is exactly how I look into it. So OTRK has one-fifth the revenue of LVGO, right? And you saw what happened to LVGO. It went absolutely nuts. But it's trading 40 times cheaper on its market cap. At one-fifth the revenue, it should be trading one-fifth the price of LVGO. So something is wrong here. And you know that since LVGO got bought out, that was the right valuation. So OTRK is at the wrong valuation. It should be five times higher. So I'm going to give a price target here. We can talk about this probably in three or four months. Maybe it happens in two months, maybe six months, whatever. 250 on OTRK, minimum. Um, and it's at
0: 57 8 now. So you're not even waiting for a pullback. You think just continue to, to grab that? Would you say it's safer to pick it as a stock then? Because there may be a, a pullback here for, for weeklies?
1: Yeah. So in my opinion, especially like seeing how great the growth is and LVGO did 124% year over year, you know, OTRK did a little bit higher at 124.4, almost 125. So they're basically like the same company in the same space. Both does the exact same thing with the like health monitoring, artificial intelligence, this and that. And now that LVGO is essentially a TDOC, sometimes people don't want to just buy telemedicine that's mixed with artificially intelligent you know health monitoring. sometimes they just want to buy the pure crazy growth saAS play which is now OTRK. So that's why I'm pounding the table on it and you know in, in regards to when to buy it it's always up to you kind of thing but for me I was loading the boat at 49. I really wanted to load the boat at 46 the day before but I thought I could get a cheaper price and sometimes when you you're sure of a stock and you know that it's going to explode and you don't want to miss it, what's paying two or three bucks more right If you think it's going 200 bucks higher, pay five bucks. And if it goes down, I'm going to load the boat more. I did load at my full position size at 49 and I will actually load more if it goes back lower.
0: It did go to 64. So you know it's capable to move quickly, especially because of the low market caps. Massive news, obviously, with the merger. One of the questions came in, is TDoc a buy here at the 190s? How are you going to see this news of the merger between teladoc and lavongo health playing out
1: yeah and so i know a lot of people are like well why did these stocks get decimated and i want to give a big shout out to richard chu on twitter man's really great he's gonna do great things in life he's a fantastic writer he does a great amount of stuff on substack really great commentary so i'm gonna quote from his uh link and we'll post that in the description for the podcast so you guys can find him on twitter and listen to more of his stuff because he's one of the guys i really like to pay attention to does great work so he said TDoc paid a lot for LVGO, but people were surprised that Livongo seemingly sold itself for a pretty low premium. So the price would be about a 0.6 of every TDoc share and $11 extra in cash. So that gets you about a 161 price for where at the time of the merger of LVGO was priced at. So it was pretty low considering that it was already at 150, right? So they gave it $10 premium, which is like really nothing. And uh, most people thought that LBGO was like no longer a long-term hyper-growth investment software as a service company, which I completely understand to some degree, right? Because if you merge the two companies together, it's a higher valuation, you know, market cap. And TDoc is not giving the same percentage in rev growth. But regardless, Livongo helps to manage chronic diseases through a combination of data science, connected devices, free and self refilling testing strips. 24 seven, 365 monitoring. That's amazing, right? They use artificial intelligence on everything that they do, and you know they're just data, data, data kind of companies. And that's like my favorite kind of companies to invest in, and the results from what they do are freaking staggering, man. Like the results from what they've been doing, just you know, preliminary in the last year, have a seventeen percent reduction in diabetes-related medical costs, and that's one of the biggest diseases plaguing America, right? 11% drop in all medical claims. Think about how big the medical industry is and what those numbers mean. And then the last staggering, makes me want to slap me in the face for not buying tens of thousands more of these when it was in the 20s, is it leads to 21% fewer ER visits. Wow. All that loss for hospitals, healthcare providers goes into LVGO's profit, right? Markets move in where value doesn't drop, but value changes and shifts to those companies that do better and result in a better situation for the people who use it, the customers. So that money is going to go to LVGO and I think at a premium. So it's, in my opinion, very undervalued. And let's talk about TDoc a little bit here. It is the first mover in telemedicine. And you know what I always say, there's only three ways to be the best. You're the smartest, you're first, or you cheat. And we don't cheat. So they're the first and by being the first and they are the largest with 51.5 million paid members. A network of 55,000 physicians in every single state in the U.S., and they cover non-emergency care in 450 medical subspecialties. Massive. These are permanent shifts to the industry, obviously catalyst heavily because of coronavirus. And as I was saying, total medical care is in the trillions and trillions in this country. And the companies together now are under 35 billion. And what if they become the healthcare provider, the health monitoring combo pack, which I don't see anyone else even a little bit in the position to do this, right? They merged the two best companies in these relative spaces that go hand in hand. 50% of adults have one chronic disease, 40% have two or more. I mean, the numbers are just staggering. This thing is going to take over telemedicine, all medicine, healthcare in general. Who wants to wait two hours in a doctor's office, especially if you're sick? And if you're sick, obviously mobility is a concern and an issue. Nobody wants to do that. TDoc was going to do what LVGO has been doing. So instead of just putting a bunch of money in, dumping a ton of cash in, and probably not ending up doing as well as LVGO, they just bought the leader. It's a genius. And Lavongo's moat is that it has such crazy distribution channels and partnerships being the first to market. And I'm going to call this double trouble, right? You mix LeBron, Michael Jordan, you get 50 championship rings. So telemedicine only happens after there's already a problem. And remote monitoring, which is what LBGO does, can prevent that from even happening in the first place. So, between them, there's only a 25% overlap in customers. Think about that for people with chronic conditions. They have 75% more people to push telemedicine and they have 75% more people to push health monitoring too. They quadrupled their base with the merger and they're now only trading at 16 times next year's sales. Slapping the buy. (laughs)
0: It's going to be massive. All these corporations, you get that full 360, right? You're not only being reactive with the teledoc of when you are sick, but if we can prevent that, that is going to be massive implications for all these corporations, for their own employees, healthier employees. And they get paid
1: either way. They get paid either way. If they prevent medicine, they get paid. If they help people who are sick, they
0: get paid. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. (laughs) With all that said, I'm just going to be loading the boat on in stocks and just not even look at it for five years. So speaking of all this company activity,
1: this business activity going on that hasn't been going on for months, IPOs have been on a freaking tear. Avi, what are some of your favorites that you've been looking at?
0: One I really want to talk about is RKT, ticker symbol. So Rocket Companies, based out of Detroit, owned by Dan Gilbert, who of course owns Quicken Loans and the majority of Detroit. Lots of different sectors, but Rocket Mortgage obviously being the, the well known area of their business. This is not just your buzzy tech startup IPOing. This is a foundational business. They've done this before. Their IPO initially loaded 100 million shares at $18. Now it's currently almost at 25 by the market close. So 28% increase from their IPO in just a week. And this is one of those areas where Robinhooders are latching on. So at its IPO, about 50,000 by midday on Friday. Almost seventy-five thousand Robinhood investors own shares there.
1: Yeah, and and the crazy thing here, obviously, that like Rocket said, it expects a profit of more than three billion in the second quarter of twenty twenty. That's absurd, right? Three billion dollars of profit in second quarter of twenty twenty. Companies trading at forty-five billion, right? So are are they saying they're going to do twelve billion in profit, like going forward? That is insane, right? It should be worth. 150, 100 billion at least right now. So, in the first quarter of 2020, Rocket reported 1.36 billion in revenue. And now the company guided for full year revenue of 4.93 to 5.13 billion. So, five times its 2019 total. And people are so concerned here. You know, interest rates are not going to stay down forever. What if people default on their mortgages? Well, people are going to default probably on commercial real estate people are not gonna default on residential real estate as much as people think. And people are in fact buying and the demand for those is crazy up. So you know, I would give Rocket a buy. Maybe it bottoms out and goes a little lower, but it's definitely one I'm gonna be looking at to add. It is a little bit over the price I wanna be buying companies at, 45 billion you know, opportunity cost of capital and all. But as as far as like a long-term play into the real estate mortgage industry, could be a good add to my portfolio. So now we talked about a stock that's not really like in our realm of favorite companies, but Abi, this new stock, I think it's big commerce shop rival. What's going on here? New IPO, crazy mispricing, you know, is this a buy? What do you, what do you think, Abi?
0: I was silently pounding the table so hard on this one in the group chat. I kept mentioning over and over again, I cannot wait for this IPO and I was so excited that I actually missed this IPO. I did not realize when it was actually IPO. And so big fuck up by me, but I am not going to drop the ball here. I'm definitely jumping in. This is one that actually was also brought up by at G Coin. He said, big commerce is going to be your new favorite market cap, just below 5 billion. So ringing some bells here for Tony right away. For those of you who are unfamiliar, it's founded in 2009, generated over 17 billion in merchant sales. So I always look at the executive, just like Tony's do their CEO, Brett Baum, He came from home away, was their COO for five years, was the VP of global product at PayPal for almost eight years and came from eBay before that. Massive. All that is massive. I mean like that, is, that guy is built for this shit. And then one little trick I do too on, on LinkedIn, you can see they're hiring, right? Their engineering hiring in the past six months Huge. has gone up 80%. So they are ready to explode here. And like, I just want to touch here is these I. IP- IPOs have been ridiculously
1: moving. So honestly, what I've just been doing, and there's no logic behind this, besides the fact that I know that Robinhood is getting a hold of these, which is gonna push the demand up and people are gonna buy the hell out of them, especially since when something IPOs, the, the shares that are in the float, so the shares that are available to buy in the market, which determine the entire price, right? Because if you can't buy or sell a stock, which is what's getting held by the institutions who underwrote it, which is getting held by the institutions who bought it, and by the founders who have stake in it, they they can't sell until the lockup's over, which is six months, 12 months sometimes. So the float of the shares is always pretty, pretty small. So that always can move an IPO initially insanely. And you know, specifically in this case, this thing was priced at 24, opened at 68. So this is what happened. These underwriters, I don't know which bank it was. They're, they're freaking crooks, right? This is like a perfect example of crookery in the financial industry sector and insanely mispriced IPOs. So what happens is when a company IPOs, the founders get a percent, the bank that underwrote gets a percent, certain institutions get a percent at a, a cheap price, right? So they price it at 24, which doesn't make any freaking sense if you compare how much shop made last year to how much big commerce is making and the growth that they have it's all well under two to three times undervalued, right? So that's why it opened at 68 because people are like, man, this is a stupid valuation. And that is not done on accident. That is some crookery done on purpose. So, you know, the best way to be the best is to be first or be the smartest. And these guys, these crooks cheated, right? That's the third thing that you never want to do. So what they did is they got these shares at 24 and they knew that they were underpricing it and then it opened at 68, right? So they're instantly tripling their money on their books, crazy BS, right? So based on shop, this should be trading around 15 billion. So I played it uh, this week just because I've just been slapping IPOs at the open. It doesn't really matter what price they open at. You know, the valuation on that day is completely relative and usually for a week or so after that. So this kind of goes in a little segment. I just want to keep pounding the table on this idea of a spade is a spade. I'm talking about these e-commerce picks you got to look at these different price to sales ratios. And I know a lot of people talk about like EPS. You know, who gives a shit? Like EPS means nothing, right? Like Amazon was unprofitable for how many years? Tesla was unprofitable for how many years? It means nothing. If you're looking at EPS, you're a clown. You're, you're a dumb clown, really. And I mean that. You know, once these companies are more established, that's fine. You look at them and like then they become more comparable. When these things are starting out, you look at the growth and you look at the price that they are currently to the sales. Shops price to sales ratio is 45 and their growth for the last quarter was 97 Se price to sales is 5.1, growth 103.2%. Amazon's price to sales is 3.4. And this is the one that was unvaluable. This is the one that people were like, this is going to make no sense, no profit. What's going on with this thing? Still growing at 40% in the last quarter. Mealy, this is why I'm pounding the table so hard on Mealy. And you can compare it directly to Amazon. Shops at 45, price to sales, Mealy's at 11. And they're growing 38% of last quarter, so and it's gonna be way bigger this quarter. I mean, massive, they're expanding in Mexico. They just started credit card companies. It's insane, right? So when you wanna figure out like, what do I wanna buy? You wanna look at these metrics on a comparable spade to spade basis. Otherwise it's irrelevant. Don't look at this and then look at like airlines and say, what's the price of sales difference? It means nothing. That's just like apples to oranges, peaches
0: to pears. Speaking of oranges, some breaking news towards the end of last week, the White House reached out <laughs> to South Dakota <laughs> to get t Dog, aka Trumpster, on the face of Mount Rush. So obviously hilarious news there, but the real news that affects the market. Trump is talking about signing this executive order that would provide an additional $400 per week and expanded benefits.
1: Yeah, this is actually like really, really ballsy and actually very, very smart thing to do, right? So the Democrats and the Republicans were having trouble fighting with this gridlock in Washington, it's all crap. but. When Trump just goes balls to the walls and says, executive order, stimulus is coming, super bullish for the market. And what's going to happen? Are they going to fight and say, no, don't help people? Don't give them more money. That's absurd. It's not going to happen. So Trump basically threw the cards on the table, said, this is what we're going to play, right? And he just hit a straight flush running the river. And here's like actually something crazy. He's like, if I get elected, it's permanent. So he's giving these incentives economically to get him back into re-election. So not even talking about politics at all. All that's going to do is benefit the American people. Everyone's going to make their own choices at the end of the day. I don't really care. I'm pretty apolitical, especially in this election, which kind of just sucks all around. But regardless, my thoughts here is that this is very bullish. You know, we were saying that the general markets are in a melt up. And you know, people call the top at 26, 28, 2900, 3000, massive psychological level, blew through that one. Now it's 3351. And when we started this podcast, it was about 3,100, it's 3,351. And we had a price target of 3,400. So I'm going to call that table pounded, broken. Ikea needs to send us another one. And I'm raising my price here again to 3,600 in the short term. And why, why is that? So as we were saying before, you've got these rotations happening between value and tech. And you can't get the market to go crazy, crazy without the value coming back. You need those RUT beaten down stocks. You need those Corona affected companies to rally. And we saw this this week for the first time we got the Russell breaking out huge, big breakout 156 on IWM. The RUT broke out 1507 and didn't stop and just kept on chugging. And you can see the reason why these high flyers, like our favorite stocks sold off is because they're moving money to banks. They're moving money to travel hotels and all this stuff that, for the overall market is super bullish. It's not bullish when only one sector is running, but it is bullish when everything's running. And it doesn't mean, oh man, NASDAQ's gonna crash. That's not gonna happen. But I think what's gonna happen with the NASDAQ that people are talking about is that everyone thinks it's gonna crash crazy. Everyone thinks it's gonna dive, dive, dive as the money goes into these other things. But why would that happen, right? Like the strength in the market going into these value beaten down names is way more bullish than just tech running rippers, breaking shorts and bears getting thrown out the window. That's not as bullish as everything running in tandem. And sure, we're going to get rotation. So you think of it like a seesaw, but the seesaw is moving up, right? You get a little bit of tech and then you get a little bit of value and then you get a big rip in tech and you get a big crash in tech and a big rip in value and it all just kind of goes together, but we're trending up. You know, we talked about the KSU buyout last week, which ripped the market. We talked about LVGO and TDoc mergers. So we're seeing a lot of things happen here in the activity in the industry. That is the most bullish thing you can see because people are scared they're not buying stuff. They're not merging. They're not doing any deals. But now people basically are saying, okay, value is where we think it is. Whether or not anyone else believes that these big boys who have way more money than me and you and everyone else who's probably listening, except uh, hopefully Jim Kramer's listening. Shout out. Thanks for the follow. But, you know, that is really bullish. And for that reason, I've been loading IWM for months now. IWM, Jan 2022, 180, 185, 190, 195, and 200 strikes. And that is my number one biggest position, over 10% total, because that's my market pacer.
0: You posted this amazing infograph about your entire portfolio on your Twitter handle. I saw a ton of amazing companies, but... My thought is like, you literally can't be in everything. If you go a mile wide and inch thick, are you really being able to pay attention to hundreds of different companies? So at J on Twitter had asked, are you thinking about cutting down your portfolio? If so, what's gonna be your main criteria you're gonna use? Will you up your other positions or are you going to hold cash until there is another opportunity to invest?
1: Yeah. So here's the thing that I was struggling with really hard. And I I posted this on Twitter. One of the hardest things about being a manager with having a lot more money to manage and move around and make decisions that I want to is you can't be in everything. And I want to be in so many things because, you know, a year ago, it was hard for me to find one great company, I think, long term. And now my problem is I found too many. You know, that's never a real problem. You know, people call it problems. Not really a problem. It's a great thing. but You know, with the space that we're in now, all these crazy high growth companies, you do have to solidify your thesis of what you want long term and the way you want to allocate your portfolio. So I have recently decided like, hey, I don't really want to hold anything over a hundred billion dollar market cap. I'm holding two percent stake in Tesla in my portfolio just because I love Tesla and it's like a more of like a emotional, like I don't want to sell my baby kind of thing. I was writing that under a hundred. Since I first started pounding the table when I was a wee 16-year-old, that's been my baby. So What I'm looking here is anything under $100 billion and more and more position sizes to things that I think are really going to be great returns in terms of 10, 15, 20X companies that you just can't get that with Tesla in the time that I want. You can't get that with shop in the time that I want. But the way that I really want to deal with managing my portfolio is looking at the companies that are doing the best revenue growth that are having the best operating margins that have something that makes them different and make them stick in that industry. Maybe they're the first, maybe they're the smartest, maybe they have proprietary patents and AI and whatever it is. So that's going to be my whole logic behind taking my portfolio to a proper amount of holding. So I've got like 40 or so that I posted on an infographic and try to get down to about 30 positions. It is
0: time for Tony's rules. However... I'm starting to think these are commandments more or less, right? So we do have two Tony rules here, and then we have 10 Tony commandments. Yeah, I am happy to because I've actually just been
1: rereading Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, and I recommend that book to read to anybody. I mean, it's just great for really understanding the, the, the deep throws and what goes on in the market. In a time when like there wasn't twitter there wasn't seeking Alpha, none of this stuff existed right so just pure psychology pure market movements and most of that still translates today so rule number one is come straight from this book don't trust your own opinion and back your judgment until the action of the market itself confirms your opinion All right? so we know a guy both of us know this guy loves roku to death mr mahi mahi here's the thing like has roku shown that it can explode all these other cloud stocks are two, 300, 400% rippers. And Roku is still shitting the bed under its all-time high from last year. So for me, it's pretty clear. Like I have Roku from 116 and I'm not touching it. I'm not adding it. I'm not doing anything until it breaks 176 and holds. So when it starts moving, for me, that's a big buy point. So even if you believe everything about Roku, 60% growth, everything's fantastic. They're going to be the leaders in this. And they are already, like, I don't disagree. But in the Opportunity Cost of Capital's defense, Why would you buy something before it starts moving? I pounded the table on Tesla for five years and the thing didn't move until five years later, right? So I could have just like shut up, sold out of Tesla, bought anything else, had that rip and then just put a a buy order at the all-time high. And then it would have taken it to 1800, right? So that's the best thing in my opinion. to Think about in terms of when you wanna buy something and how to trust your own opinion and not get overconfident in something and buy it just because you believe when the market's saying you're an idiot. And the market's told me I'm an idiot a hundred times. And it took a a lot of hard learned lessons for me to believe this rule. And now I strictly follow it.
0: That's my rule is either you win or you learn. And that's not just in the stock market. I think that's in everything in life. So we got an obby rule injection there myself. I love it. I love it. Yeah.
1: Rule number two here, pretty strong for me. And this is something that so many people struggle on. They want to sell their winners and they want to add to their losers. When you add your losers and you sell your winners, what does your net portfolio kind of ranking get? More losery, right? Never sell a stock because it is moving crazy or it seems high priced. There's usually a reason why that's happening. And I'm not saying don't hedge. I'm actually pounding the table on hedging. And I'm not saying don't take profits and like get back in. That's okay. But Don't close a position because it's broken out over its all-time highs, in my opinion. And that's something, once again, took me years and years to figure out why do you sell something when it's showing you it's stronger than it's ever been? Why do you buy something when it's showing you it's weaker than it's ever been? Obviously, March crash was completely different, right? If you loaded anything at that point, you did great. But I'm saying just like in a normal market, you want to add to your winners, right? So I, I don't look to sell fastly. I don't look to sell SE. I don't look to sell LVGO. I look to buy on huge dips, and I like to hold as they get to new highs. And hopefully the next dip is gonna be higher than the previous dip. And then I could buy more at the dip with proceeds from my hedges and I'm a happy man.
0: So I know we talked about earlier uh, crack, which we know nothing about, but as Biggie says, the 10 crack commandments. Tony is going to share his 10 tone commandments. And Tommy. this is, this absolutely, <laughs> this is in the form of like the
1: problems for traders. So I guess the commandments are, so don't overtrade, don't not have a stop loss, whether it's mental or real, don't overexpose yourself. Don't take two big position sizes right off the bat or at any point, honestly, make sure you're at least comfortable with what you're buying and how much and don't just trade for the bands, right? Like if you want to do a couple of autos here and there for the fun of it, sure, you know, go, knock yourself out. But don't be like, oh wow, this is fun. This is fun. This is fun. You're gonna get crushed. Don't trade with no plan or strategy. Don't buy stuff or sell stuff because of FOMO, fear of missing out. Make sure you have patience. Don't just trade with a lack of patience. If you're if you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and you just start slapping the buy or slapping the sell, patience. Your trade might work out, might not, but at least you're not doing it ahead of the move. Make sure to do homework on what you own and why. Otherwise, you're gonna look like an idiot. And I've done that myself many times. And the last one. actually my favorite. Don't take a piss. And what I mean by don't take a piss is if you walk away from your trading screen, it's different if you're a long-term investor and don't care about the swings and you're just okay with holding it. If you walk away when you're trading, you go take a piss, go have a sandwich, go make some coffee. You come back and you have no idea what's going to happen, right? Like it could be five minutes and the market crashes. We're in a war with China. Whatever happens, market's down 500. You get slaughtered because you're not watching. Make sure to watch or make sure to put yourself in a position where you don't have to watch.
0: That uh, actually happened to me many times when I was trading. (laughs) I hope my manager's not listening to this podcast, but I would jump up and say, okay, how much is this trip to the kitchen, grabbing this apple? How much is that going to cost me? Is this a $3,000 apple? And so that is 100% true. You need to be looking at your screen if you are trading, especially with weekly options. You cannot mess around and just go literally take a piss and stop looking at your screen because anything could happen, and you want to be there, of course, to make changes as they do happen. Well said, Mr. Mash. Of course. Apples are phenomenal, though. Um, (laughs) Anyways, let's get to the questions here. Given the time, we're just going to get to two questions today. The first one coming from Shane Fernandez. Shane, we see you reaching out to us all the time. Huge fan of yours. So Shane asks, it looks like there's a cure slash vaccine. That's going to be a very binary event. So if slash when that happens, the market seems to be indicating rotation into cyclical and industries that were hit hard by the pandemic, such as hotels, airlines, transportation, et cetera. Wondering your thoughts on adding to PayPal, GPN, V, and MA to play this eventually. Thanks,
1: Shane, again, for all the support. Uh, I'm going to say that I just, well, I do like PayPal. I love it like long-term. It's like one of those hold and don't look at kind of stocks. Same with MasterCard, obviously. And uh, I like Visa, but I think MasterCard's a better play long-term. They're taking risks and innovating a little bit, even though they're a big company already. But for me, I think that if you get this rotation, those are not going to be like the biggest, craziest movers. They're such big market caps that you're probably going to be better off playing IWM or RUT calls. You're probably going to get a crazy percent spike in hotels and airlines and transports. So, for me, if you're thinking that's going to happen, which I, I do think that's going to happen, I would be playing those right as a swing trade. I, I don't want to hold Carnival Cruise Lines or United Airlines long term. It's just for the swing.
0: Our favorite, Mr. Doug E. Fresh, asking the question: What levels are you going to be bearish again under the S and P 500? How are you going to plan to manage there? Yeah, Dougie Fresh, shout out to you as always. Um. As I've been saying, I, I just think that as long as we're over
1: 3,200, I'm long, right? And I know that's 150 points lower, but we just did that in like a week. So if I go down a little bit, that's okay. But my stop, my mental hard stop is a close under 3,200, which I'll probably just start dumping positions. If we go under there and there's like some severe news, let's say the virus gets three times worse or like something crazy happens, I'm going to be a dump everything, buy my SPACs, chill and, you know, maybe hedge downside and play the downside.
0: Last week, we had a huge docket of earnings. Again, this week, we have tons of them, so we won't get into them all. Some of the key ones being on Monday, Mercado Libre. Zoom Info is a new one we just picked up. Tuesday, we have Neo. Not going to talk too much about that. But Wednesday comes my favorite, Jumia <laughs> Technologies. So tons uh, of eyes
1: Sianya.
0: on there. <laughs> Matata, baby. Thursday, we got a new one here, Farfetch, uh UK company selling luxury retail. And then Friday, another Avi special with DraftKings. So, Tony, what do we got here this week, man? Talk to me about Mele. I know you're going to probably hit up Ikea to break a few fucking tables here with Melee, but <laughs> Easily. let's go. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, here's the thing with Melly. Like, it, it has ran already since we started pounding the table, and like I've been in this since 500. But we pounded the table about 9.46 on it, and so it's already up almost 30 percent just in this, and that's a huge move, right? Like 250 points, and it was it was over 300 points at one point, which is absolutely insane. And they're they're expecting on their EPS earnings per share at 10 cents per share, right? And I think that's so stupidly low. And the only way it won't be way, way higher, in my opinion, is because they threw a bunch of money into Mexico and they just started like a credit, a whole nother division of their business, which is going to be stupidly bullish in the coming years. They're doing credit cards now and they've already just surpassed Petrobas and Vale as the most valuable Latin American company of all time. So in my opinion, you saw what Amazon shop Etsy did. They all blew out estimates. And Mealy is definitely a smaller cap in comparison to Amazon and shop. Mealy does more revenue. Mealy's now got three different revenue sources, companies underneath their Mealy branches, almost like, you know, Alphabet, it's like a parent company where they have all these cool branches underneath it. It's basically MasterCard, Amazon and Square at the same time. I've uh, sold a lot of my calls just because they've already become so profitable and they're so pricey for this week. I didn't want to risk it. So I just added a bunch of more shares. And if they do dive because they have been selling these earnings, owners a little bit. And if they're not going to blow out EPS, just because they're doing all this research and development, all this new spending, which is going to be long-term stupidly crazy bullish, like what Amazon did, right? Amazon could, if they wanted to, they could report $50 a share in EPS, but they keep growing. So that's why they don't do that. Um, still very long mealy on any dips. I will be just loading the boat. Zoom info could be pretty cool as well. You know, I know that Avi likes this one a lot. So let him talk about it. So
0: zoom info I'm in software sales and, and especially now, right with Corona, so much going on Uh, people are not picking up their phones you got to figure out different ways to reach out and so a lot of these software companies are using zoom info which is really the leader in that space to search for people's information to ultimately reach out they did a merger with discover.org and i must say the the new product is fucking awesome it's someone that uses it i absolutely love it i know a lot of other tech companies friends that i'm talking to have recently purchased it so Without knowing too much about what's actually going to happen, from a useless perspective, We've been using it quite a bit, and the new merger and the overall new product is phenomenal. So we'll see what happens with that one, but um, definitely want to keep an eye out. I think they definitely have some upward trajectory, and I absolutely love the product. SPG, man. I'm driving. I'm going past all these malls, completely empty. And SPG is one that you were banging, pounding the table on. Ah, and it's almost like you know the news before the news hits. <laughs> so how the hell did you call this? Explain what's going on with their, their pivot here.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I was saying this since like commercial space, you're not going to get the world's biggest malls to go to, to shit. Like maybe in time, but what what I was saying is that they're going to revolutionize the space and do something different. And at the time I had no idea what it was. And it's okay to have no idea what it's going to be, just knowing that it's going to be something better. Right? So here's the news that just hit like maybe an hour ago, Amazon and giant mall operator. Hmm. I kind of wonder who that is. Who's the biggest mall operator in America spg is looking to turn old jc stores into fulfillment centers in those malls right so i knew they would revolutionize somehow and that's what it is i mean you just have to think into the future right like this is like big space great place for someone to just move in and try something different and i think amazon obviously as profitable and huge as they are you think they're not going to pay their rent and you think they're not going to pay more rent for all they're going to be
0: doing in there. In fact, this
1: might actually be more bullish than it was before. And if other companies start following the
0: precedent, who knows? That's interesting. I I always see it like Kohl's, they have the Amazon returns. There's a lot of new areas where Amazon is trying to get a foothold here in the actual physical storefront where it just makes it a lot easier for people to go and make their returns. And then, of course, from the retailer side, it's bringing foot traffic right directly into those stores. I could not be more excited, though, of (laughs) Jumia. I know this has almost turned into a Jumia podcast, but it's just extremely exciting. A chance to get into almost the Amazon of Africa, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I know the stocks already ran a crazy amount, but you just have to consider the
1: market cap being so low. And they revealed that in the months of May and June, they saw the highest amounts of active vendors, most amounts of customers on site, an increased amount of unique product purchases on the platform a lot. That's huge. All that news is very, very bullish. Their delivery partners increased year over year by 73%. Delivery associate company saw a 65% increase year over year. And our pickup points, Jumia's pickup points and warehouses increased year over year by 109% with over 200 hubs now. They have this new Jumia Prime free trial discount vouchers and treasure hunts with discounted items of up to 99%, right? So they're just trying to get people on the platform and grow. It's like, why do these companies lose earnings? You know, why do they not make profit like Amazon and Tesla? This is what they're doing. They're getting their base and then they're going to grow it exponentially. So... In my opinion, if the earnings don't blow out this quarter, they'll be blowing out next quarter. But I really do think that based on the mobility that we saw in Nigeria being down so much overall and people just flocking to e-commerce and this growth that they're talking about, I think the earnings might be a really good blowout.
0: We're getting to the stage here to wrap up the show. want to get to the most important section here. We're talking about Tony's locks. So, Tony, I know you have a few here that you say over the next month or so are going to absolutely run. So walk us through a few of those stocks that we should be Mm -hmm. watching.
1: Something I've been like really picking up a lot of recently in shares is uh, FUTU, F-U-T-U. It's kind of mixed between like Chinese Robinhood and like a little bit of payment processing kind of thing. And just looking at the revenue growth forecast, 35% for next year. Growth of their earnings is 35% also for next year. That's very, very bullish. And market cap's pretty low, $4.5 It's pretty stunning in my opinion. When you look at like Robinhood in the U.S. and then you look at the total addressable market of China, which is like six times the population of the U.S. It's like this thing's worth like half of Robinhood, and it's just starting to move. So I'm very long FUTU and I will be adding to it. One of the uh, stocks I've been talking about for months now, since it was 24 is Stone, now around 50, so broke out of its all-time highs and just kind of resting there. I think it's ready for the next move up. Only thing is market cap's like 13 billion, so little bit higher. So it's going to move a little less, but I think it's one of those similar to like uh, square PayPal kind of thing. Revenue forecast, 28% next year, earnings 29%. So another one that's just demolishing on both fronts. So it's great to see when their earnings per share come up to their revenue. And then we had this news that did they did 51% of all payments processing for e-commerce in Brazil last quarter. So it's super bullish data. Love the stock. We'll be holding it long-term. Another one I've been looking at is Dow, UDAO D-A-U is a ticker symbol e-commerce learning communication so it's like a little bit of gsx a little bit of meal. i like both industries revenue forecast 38 percent next year and then their earnings are 61 percent revenue earnings next year here's another one we wanted to you know bring this up as the next special for next week but in regards to what happened to otrk we just thought we'd drop it early blfs so this thing in my opinion it doesn't really matter the revenue doesn't matter the earnings and market cap is only 671 million but here's the most ridiculous thing to me. I'm invested in CRISPR, Edita, NVTA, NTLA. All those companies are supplied by BLFS. Right, And they also supply Celgene, huge company, and a bunch of others. I like think 40 other, massive. And I want to give a huge shout out to Austin Lieberman, bringing this one to my attention. This is a longer term play, right? So it's maybe not happening in a month, but it is about to break out over 22, which was the recent high from like about a year back. So wanted to drop this before it did that. In my opinion, anything over 22 close would be very bullish, in my opinion. And I will be adding on that.
0: move. We got to bring Austin on. And I know we were talking about bringing a lot more guests on as we enter and continue to do these podcasts. We could not be more excited about the direction of the podcast. We've been growing massively. So about 50% EOE, which is our own phrase of episode on episode. The more listeners, obviously, the better we're going to get. More time spent on preparation of the shows. Yeah, and obviously, we put in a ton of time in each show. We started this at like 8
1: like 9 a.m. this morning, 8 a.m. and it's like 4 p.m. now. So we're going to get this out as fast as possible. It's really exciting because it allows us the opportunity to give back to the Pounder community. We want to share with you what we're looking at, what we're thinking, and how we think about it. So if it just helps one person, that makes all the difference for us. Uh, what I'm really excited about in the coming future is just continuing to try to give back to different communities because of our mo- our monthly donations. So Again, thank you to everyone who's clicked the support button on Anchor. Feel free to do that. And again, just want to let you know we're going to be remaining a free podcast and of the donations that we will receive going forwards will be going towards various causes and charities. So we'll have a super special surprise guest for episode 10. So please stay tuned, Pounders. Hit the subscribe, hit the follow. Thanks for listening. Have a Pounding Week, everybody.
0: And this will wrap up. Pounding the Table.